Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong and I'm the host of this podcast. On this show, I sit down with people in the public eye to talk to them about their lives and their careers. But importantly, I like to talk to them about their vulnerabilities and understand what the word headstrong means to them. On today's episode of Headstrong, I sat down with Felicity Hayward. Felicity is a plus-size model, but an absolute advocate for body positivity with her brand new book out, which is very, very exciting. We sat down to talk about her new book and how it's inspiring her sister, of course, but importantly, this young generation to embrace themselves and love themselves. So I really, really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. But first, a note from our sponsors, RCK Partners, who specialise in helping UK businesses claim R&D tax relief across the engineering, agricultural and tech space. If you'd like to find out about this valuable source of funding for your business, head to rck.partners or follow the link in the podcast description below. That's rck.partners. Felicity, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How's it going? I'm good, baby. It's Monday morning. I've not long been up. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? Why not? So when I was researching this episode and finding out more in detail about you and stuff, I've got to say, first of all, how inspiring you are as an individual. Uh, I watched your TED talk, which I thought was absolutely brilliant, and I can thoroughly recommend that. So uh, I just wanted to say awesome stuff and all the work that you do, which we will discuss in great detail in this podcast. 
Um, for those listening who don't know who you are, how would you describe yourself and the work that you do? I am a plus-size model, but an OG. I've been doing it for a long time and was, you know, one of the first of my age to be pushing that narrative over here in the UK. I also am a new author, mm. which is exciting, and I've been sort of pushing the narrative of self-love, self-confidence and wellness within bodies. And we'll discuss your book in great detail as well later on, but that's called Does My Butt Look Big in This? And that's kind of described as a body positivity manifesto, which yeah. is cool. Very cool. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I really like yeah. it. But the first thing I kind of that comes to mind in the kind of public sphere when we talk about that is yeah. Love Island. Yeah. Now, I can't say I'm... I watch it, but when I say the words Love Island to you, how does that make you feel in terms of your your ethos and body positivity and what that that what you stand for? I just think it is a, sh a modern show that is very outdated within beauty standards. I think it does more harm than it does good. And I was literally saying this um, at a festival this weekend. So, you know, I've been doing this job now for a decade and every year I see a new wave of Love Island contestants attend all of the events that, you know, I, I go to. And I just think, just to stop you there, can you hear that in the background? No. No, that's for some reason someone's just started decided to do building work. No, it's all good. Um, I can I, I can't hear anything. Can't hear it. <laughs> Stop in case we can hear it. Um, but yeah, every year I see this new wave of influencers who who come from Love Island, and the problem that I have is that a lot of these uh, people that go on Love Island they all look the same uh, aesthetically, and they they're easily replaceable and I don't mean that in a you know I have friends that have you know I've made friends that are have been on the show and I don't mean that in a bad way but I think at the core the show is producing something that I don't think is sustainable um whether that's in body image and people's careers and it's creating so many mental health issues because like I said like I went to a festival this weekend and I see the new wave of all these people I don't know who they are because I haven't watched it and I'm like this is the new crew of Love Island from this year. And they'll be forgotten about next year when the new Love Island crew come in. And what is that doing to, to those people? Like, I'm worried about the people that go on Love Island as much as I am worried about the young minds that are watching it and being influenced by it. You know, there is one body image ideal on that show and everybody is the cookie cutter version of themselves. They show no diversity. They show an inch of diversity. They try They try with race. You know, they might put a black girl and a black guy in. Um, and that's it. You know, they, they, uh, they put someone in who, who was deaf, I believe, in mm. maybe the last series or the series before. Like, they literally sprinkle, sprinkle something in. And it's just, it's just embarrassing. It's like the whole world isn't, you know, a a size eight um you know white girl with you know veneers and and big lips like 
and like I said, it's nothing against the people that go in. Like they have pressures themselves to attain and look like this. And like it's a it's a much bigger picture. It's like, you know, it's what society deems as beautiful and what um, shows like this push. And if you know the show was uh, more diverse and had all different bodies and all different, um, you know, uh, sizes and backgrounds and and abilities and genders, then like we'd be looking at the real world. But we're not. That they're selling a fantasy of something which is damaging to people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that you said as well about the sprinkling of diversity that they do, but then they try and celebrate that sprinkling mm. to a point where it's over-exaggerated, yeah. which yeah. is a real shame. But then also further, furthermore, talking about that um, under-representation of what the British public truly is. So when I was doing my research for this, um, well, obviously I know for a fact that I don't walk around with a six pack with my shirt off every day, but also yeah. in terms of women, the average UK dress size is a size 16. And mm -hmm. when you look at, as you say, look at the cast of that. And as you say, also it's nothing against these people. It's what the show is trying to promote. It's the people higher, far higher than them. And what unfortunately has become what might be deemed as a social norm. Um, but it's, uh, it's misrepresenting what normal truly is yeah um how do we combat that then <laughs> don't watch love island <laughs> <laughs> um it's difficult because they've yeah they've created this show that's like extremely successful i tell you how we can combat it and i'm really looking forward to this show coming back on the screens is big brother and mm -hmm. i i was up till like two o'clock last night on TikTok watching old Big Brother um, clips. Now that show is coming back on, and that is for me the original like reality TV show. And I hope that they are going to put people. Are they going to take a completely different, um, a different page from Love Island and go back to the Big Brother roots of? having everyone from every background and it being a real sort of like, um, you know, uh, the, the British public, that's what we want. We want, we want to see an, a range of people. And I hate using the term diversity because the term diversity should not exist because the world is diverse. Like we shouldn't have to be making a, a scene of it. So I actually don't like that term, but I have to use it because we're still not there. Um, I'm hoping that Big Brother have casted a really, really great group of people and that, you know, we all watch that and think that's that's how the, this country looks and that's how we want to, you know, celebrate shows that are going to happen regardless if we want them to or not. So I'm just praying Big Brother brings back this, this you know, fun uh, reality again rather than this sort of, you know, uh, one that's just created just for you know if we watch big brother and it's full of people wanting to be influencers mm. it's very easy to see as well isn't it yeah yeah so fingers crossed fingers crossed yeah <laughs> positivity here we go <laughs> um, so now if we transition that over now to the fashion industry and we look at that from when you started though uh obviously the uh, people like to know about like like to hear about your how you got scouted because it's a great story yeah <laughs> do, you, do you mind retelling that for me yeah of course um so 
I was scouted in an East London pub, dancing to Diana Ross, and got asked to do a shoot as the late, great Anna Nicole Smith. And I was just having a great time with my friends. And I just thought, you know what? My nan will love to see these pictures of her granddaughter, who she's always just, she's been like my absolute rock through my, from my whole life, from my childhood to now of being like, the person that really made me confident and sort of helped me push that, that sort of, um, yeah, the confidence and self-love within myself. But I just thought, you know, my man's going to love these pictures. Like, let's, let's go for it. And, um, yeah, the, we did the shoot. It was like crazy hours, like 18 hour long, 20 hour long day. Um, and there were security guards there who were looking after the diamonds. I just thought this was the most incredible thing I'd ever done. And yeah, I just saw it as a, this is just a shoot. Like I, I'm never going to be a regular model. It didn't even come into my brain because I am doing a sort of, you know, a homage to Anna Nicole Smith, who's a curvy blonde. So I was like, yeah, this will just be one thing. And then when it came out, it went viral because that photographer had never used a curvy woman before. He'd always used, um, you know, very sort of size four, size six women. And yeah, the industry over here started to shake up going, oh, hang on a minute. If he's used her, maybe, maybe we'll use her and see what this sort of, this gimmick is. And it, yeah, it was a gimmick at the beginning. And, and now 10 years later, uh, look at the industry. So when you started out, and I've, yeah. I've read, you've said before, and we know there was a distinct underrepresentation of plus size models, and yeah. notably on the high street when it came to clothing and shopping and getting getting things off the hanger. What kind of what do you think has allowed that progression to change in that regard? Um. Well, I think more brands, you know, like more brands creating plus size collections. I also think social media is the, the, probably the biggest thing in this because, you know, when I started, it was a reaction of people online going, oh my God, a girl of your size is like being shot by this photographer and like in these campaigns. And I think the reaction from people on social media created such a buzz that the industry started to listen. Mm. I mean, started, like they sort of dribbled in, um, work throughout the last 10 years but like I think it yeah it was sort of like when I when I became a model I was broke for the first two years because there was just not enough like work for me and you know people listening in like when you're a model there are there's two types of uh, jobs you do you do commercial or you do editorial um so commercial is when you're working for brands and like, you know, high street brands and beauty brands and, and whatnot. And editorial is when you do the fashion magazines. You notoriously do not get paid. You know, I think it's something stupid. And I don't know if this is still to this day, but it was an ongoing thing years ago that if you did the cover of Vogue, you got paid a pound. What? Yeah, it was something crazy like that. Like I could be wrong now, but it was like back then it was like, you know, seeing us, if you do, um, if you have the cover of Vogue, like it's, it's, you know, it's iconic. It's uh, it's you know, you should be grateful. It's outrageous. What I did at the beginning was obviously I did not do the cover of Vogue, but um, you know, any sort of editorial stuff you do, it's just yeah, it's it, even to this day, it's just seen as publication and press. So you, 
you, yeah, you, you pretty much work for free. So I was skint for the first few years. And um, yeah, it wasn't until the brand started to really listen. I mean, I still think it's crazy now. Like when you look at the plus size industry, the last time I, I checked, it was worth something like 7 billion in the UK, right? Wow. And it's growing every single year. And not to be not to be rude, but like when people create brands and businesses, the ultimate goal is to be successful. Whether that's you're a charity, but even if you're a charity, your 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 goal is to raise funds to, mm. to make change. And if you're a business, you know, it is is to make money. So why are we not why are brands all brands not catering to plus size? It is worth billions of pounds like do you know what i mean when you say it's like oh i'm gonna start a business but i'm just gonna exclude a whole demographic of people and just lose billions of pounds because it's not you know it's not really worth it for me um and that's what that's where it comes it's just all these old school people that are in positions of power who dictate um what they believe is beautiful and i think um the old uh, ceo of victoria secrets is is someone that has a massively screwed up with um what he did with that brand like uh victoria's secrets you know the the they used to be the pinnacle of fashion and just sort of like beauty these like very very tall thin women that would walk the catwalk and do these big victoria's secret show and it was you know all about one man's ideal of beauty and he said you know trans women and plus size women will never be seen on the catwalk like this and you know he said some really, really messed up things. And, and I'm not being funny, Victoria's Secret who? Like, they got ridiculed online and um, they've tried to turn it around, but it's not the same. And and that's, you know, again, that is the power of social media and the power of, of, of people. And I think I've gone on some long tangent here, but babes, but like, <laughs> it can make a huge impact on things um, for the rights of things to change. So... Yeah. Love that. So when you going off the kind of discussion of brands there, then are you very conscious? I mean, maybe at the beginning, I don't know. It's I'm actually interested to hear what you say. Did you have to, are you now more selective of who you work for? Cause back in the beginning, if you were so skint, I guess, ultimately you're probably not going to turn too many down, I guess. You know well, what I mean? You know, again, at the beginning, it was just, it was also exciting for me as, as a woman, mm. because, um, the high street was opening up to more clothes for me. So, you know, my nan would make all my clothes and we'd go into shopping and, and charity shopping and it was exciting. So any brand at the beginning, I was really keen to support no matter if their clothes weren't that great because I was like, yes, you're listening. Like, um, let's push this. But yeah, of course now I'm, you know, very lucky to be in a position that I can choose who I want to work with, um, a little bit more than I did at the beginning of my career. But the same thing, I do like to support any brand that is, you know, pushing for um, for that size increase and inclusivity. So, yeah. Before we go on to talk about the self-love then, and of course your book, can we talk about growing up and what that was like for you as an experience? Um, what, what, When did you first become aware of your own mental health when you were growing up? Do you know what? I still had this conversation... Um, recently uh because we we've uh, there's been some family issues uh, everyone's going through family issues but um there's a can you hear that or is that okay 
All good. That was really loud. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I sort of... I had the discussion with some of my family members the other day because we're going through some family stuff at the moment and um, there is a funeral coming up in two weeks and the dynamics of everyone is just sort of like, it's becoming a bit of a headache. Um, and certain people don't speak to people. I won't name names in case they listen. But, um, you know, one member of my family, she is uh, 21, you know, um, and... I'm in my thirties and she grew up in a different time to me where mental health matters and things were spoken more about. So the mm -hmm. younger generation, so not my generation, but that, that younger generation, they have been exposed to so much stuff online in a, in a positive and a negative way. But in the positive way is that, you know, they understand what gaslighting is. They understand you know, what depression is. They understand all of these key things that, um, you know, they're speaking up about autism and ADHD and, like, all these other, like, neurodivergent... Like, they're speaking up about all these things. And I didn't have that when I was growing up. You know, we didn't have access to these um, pages and these, you know... Um, I mean, we would have had access to books, but it wasn't the normal sort of thing to be mm. speaking about. So we just kind of got on with it. And I find that quite strange because I know I'm kind of going off a little bit now, but, you know, at the moment, everyone's talking about ADHD and how, like, a lot of us, especially women, feel like we've never been diagnosed properly because it was only ever seen when we were younger that ADHD and stuff was um, focused on boys. And it's funny you should say that because before I was a model, I was training to become a uh, primary school teacher and I was working at a um, special educational needs school uh, behavioral school for boys mm. didn't exist for girls and you know that was not that long ago and yeah I mental health really didn't if I'm being completely honest with you I haven't really thought about it until until I'm an adult it may be in the last five years you know and like that's quite crazy that you sort of grow up as a teenager and as a young adult just sort of getting on with it just getting on with any sort of trauma or stress that you've dealt with and it I started therapy um the start of this year and for years and years and years I thought oh I don't need therapy I'm too strong you know I don't need to be speaking to someone like you know I'm not trying to um you know cause myself pain or physical pain like I don't need therapy and actually now I'm in therapy everybody should have it if they have access to it and that's something that I I wouldn't have spoken about when I was younger because I wouldn't have wanted to be seen as weak whereas you look at you know my younger uh family member and she's like oh my god I had therapy when I was 13 and it's the best thing I've ever done and she normalise it. And I've only just started to normalise it in my 30s because we grew up in that generation where it wasn't. Yeah, you were told to stiffen the upper lip. You were told to, in, particularly in my case, to man up yeah. um, and just get on with it. And as you say, if you showed weakness, it was uh, you looked vulnerable and weak and you, you would be judged for it. Whereas now there's a community specifically, of, you know, as you say, pages and pages online that will give you support and a sense of community. Yeah. And it's strange because like, you know, I 
got catapulted into a fashion industry, you know, this industry that didn't accept me. And I almost wasn't accepting myself either. And I just sort of like had to just deal with, with everything that got thrown at me because I could see that it was having a positive impact on other people. And I didn't really look after myself at the beginning because I was like so focused on, oh, wow, this is a new situation where I'm very lucky and very, you know, very lucky to be put in. So I, I need to sort of focus on everyone else. Yeah, you know? I get that. So you put other people ahead of you. Yeah. Yeah, so... I don't think, yeah, I don't think I really started to think about mental health until um, a few years ago. So when you look back at school, how do you reflect on education as a whole for you? And then we'll talk about education kind of now. Um, School, I was just really in my own little bubble, if I'm being completely honest with you. Like I was um, was a little punk. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was a little punk. I just sort of like... Um, I was really, really into music and, and going to gigs and bunking off school and getting the train to certain gigs in London. And um, I really was just sort of in my own bubble, really. Um, I sort of kind of got on with different friendship groups, but, yeah, I, I knew I just didn't want to be in my hometown, so I sort of put my head down and just, yeah. Was that kind of a matter of you doing it yourself, or did you feel ostracized by groups um oh there was definitely like the mean girls in every school i think that i think Mm. that exists to 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 now um you know and i i do remember there was a certain group of girls who just yeah the, the mean girls i just thought they were better than everyone else and um yeah i always think about that 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 select group of people as well from school and they thought they were you know the world revolved around them it, again but in that little bubble of a school yeah. and then they get out of school and they don't have anything yeah. they've been so interested I in always, that social I situation i always say this and i think everyone can relate to me and like i don't know much about you in like your school and whatever or how popular in school but if you were popular in school you peaked way too early <laughs> yeah do you so not true. do you agree with me? I know we 100%. don't really know each other, but like all the popular people at school are yeah, they're they're usually still in still in the hometown, still have, you know, have have a great job and family and whatever, but like they sort of I have a story about when I went home for Christmas. Mm. There was a certain year, there was this there was um these sort of group of girls when I was younger, they weren't just particularly very nice. They're just bitchy. They just were just, yeah. I remember I came home for Christmas and I went out to my local nightclub as we do. And I just become the face of TK Maxx, which was a huge, huge deal back then. And also my hometown had just got a TK Maxx. Um, and I was just really happy that my nan would be able to go in and see my face in the store. Like it was so like, such a weird thing, especially back then. And I was at the bar and I was ordering a drink and I could see these girls like, you know, we, was, what, 10 years later, whenever, you know, from school, maybe a little bit less. And they're walking towards me and they're like, oh my God, hi, Flick, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, are you actually joking? Like, oh my God, we you know like you're like modelling now and like we've seen you in like 
DK Maxx. And the thing is, when I was younger, like all those girls wanted to become models. Like they were so desperate to be like part of a, a beauty ideal, which back then was very, very thin. You know, and I'm obviously a curvier woman. And I remember the bar lady was like, the barmaid was like, oh, you know, what do you want? And I was like, have you got any champagne? And um, she was like, we only have Bollinger. And I was like, that'll do. And the girls next to me like, oh my God, like she's buying a champagne. This is so cool. And, and I get my card out and I'm like praying because I haven't been paid. Like I think people think with models, right? Yeah. It's not, um, when you get paid for jobs, it can be up to 90 days for you to get paid. Like it's like the, you know, if you're a freelancer, like, like shout out to you, like chasing invoices is like <laughs> so stressful. And I like put my card down going, I don't know if I have 45 pound in my account. Like I said, all my money on my Christmas presents for family. And, you know, it went through. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, How many glasses do you want? I was like, oh, just a straw. Put the straw in the bottle, turned around to the girls and was like, Merry Christmas and walked off. And I felt like such, like, I don't know, this sort of rush of adrenaline of like, you know, you can be a weirdo in school and, and be successful and you shouldn't judge people by the way they look and act and dress and I felt really empowered in that moment but when but now I look back on it and when I really really think about it it's like yes those girls weren't great but also at the same time they would have been dealing with their own insecurities mm. their own pressures you know they wanted to get into the industry in a, in a time when the industry did not accept anyone you know I was very lucky that I managed to get into the situation but like you know, they're all going through their, their stuff as well. And maybe if the industry was more inclusive, those girls would have been more kind to everyone else in school because they wouldn't have been feeling a certain way. So although at the time I was like, this is amazing, I was thinking, we've all got the same problem. Ultimately, it's just how you choose to treat others. Yeah, you've all got the, well, we all have these insecurities. There's a feeling of shared insecurity, but exactly as you yeah. say, say, you show it in a different way. And it's that, uh, just those, the group, the specific groups of people at school, you can, I can just see it so vividly now. And just the yeah. way that they behaved, but actually deep down, they were probably just as, you know, insecure as well. If you're looking to take advantage of R&D tax credits to boost your business's cash flow, RCK Partners can help you. Simply head to rck.partners or follow the link in the podcast description below to learn more. That's rck.partners. Now, let's get back to the podcast. When you look at school nowadays then with social media, phones, I mean, we talk about there, one of your family members going to therapy at 13, which is obviously great, but there's this big whirlpool almost of judgment readily available at the palm of your hand but also there's still that luxury of you know charity countless charities that have 24 7 hotlines and you know pages where you can find communities what do you think it would be different now if you were at school for you um yeah i think like you said the access that like young people have um is brilliant but equally as well, you know, when I went to school and I dressed up for the day and, and put my Dr. Martins on and stuck, made my hair into a mullet and, and wore my punk badges and stuff, I was going, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to look like anyone else. Maybe I was trying to look like the people in Kerrang! magazine or something, but like, you know, 
it, now I, I didn't have access, you know, I had a mobile phone just, you know, that didn't even take pictures. It's like comparison right now is like, is an absolute, you know, killer because people are, are now able to sort of um, have access to all these things, but equally also have access to all of the bad stuff. So this, you know, it's, it's really difficult. It's like, you know, you can't have one without the other. Um, and where do you find balance in that? Yeah, you're you know? absolutely right. So when we look at uh, yourself then now on social media, you've got a big following. Do you feel responsibility about everything that you post or, um, and kind of what you're doing on there and showing your, your awareness on that? I definitely think I have responsibility and I think everybody who has a platform that they use for work, um, anybody that's in a position of influence, whether that's a celebrity, you know, a YouTuber, blogger, a musician, um, if you are selling product and selling an ideal on social media, you have to take responsibility for your actions. You know, it's the same as, you know, influencing world now and it's just marketing. And, you know, when you market something to a, a group of people, um, you know, whether it's in a magazine, and I always compare it to the food industry, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just say you have um, a, a bag of sweets, right? You have a bag of sweets and you are promoting this bag of sweets to, uh, to the consumers, you have to say every single ingredient that's in that because if you say one ingredient that's not included, um, you know, someone could uh, become poorly, they could, um, you know, get sick, all of these things. And um, if you are an influencer and you're promoting stuff, you have to tell the truth behind things, which a lot of the time people do not. And that's that's where i have an issue with it's like if you're in a position of power and a position of influence you have to tell the truth to your audience and we have a lot of people who are not and that's where the responsibility gets you know blurred and and you know it's not difficult to tell the truth and people respect you more for doing that and if you aren't telling the truth you're caught you can cause some serious damage you know one family in particular um, whose bodies have caused a, you know, a worldwide body image um, scandal, essentially, um, have created this narrative that, you know, certain bodies are, are better than others, which is just another thing that's happened over the last at least 100 years. And, you know, when they, they lie about having these alterations done to their body, and this isn't just them, it's other influences as well. When you lie about having these things done, you have young people going on and trying to attain and have the same body image as you. And when they don't do it, they go to an, you know, a dodgy surgeon. And we've got cases of, you know, young people going to get um, these Brazilian butt lifts done by non-professional surgeons because these people online are not telling the truth. And these people are dying of infections. Mm. It's crazy. So when you are on your social media, yes, you're using it as a tool because ultimately it's part of your business as a self-employed uh, model and kind of author, et cetera, et cetera. But you must yeah. still, from time to time, get messages, comments, ultimately trolls, leaving mm-hmm. kind of these nasty comments. How do you tackle that sort of thing? Do you know what? It's, it, it's an ongoing question. It's like um, 
trolls are there because we've not got there properly within the industry to uh, include everybody. Uh, people troll because they don't understand. People troll because they're dealing with their own insecurities and they can't understand how someone else could be happy um, within their own self. Um, it's such a gross culture to be, you know, people wouldn't say this in real life, but they're, they're using these platforms just to take out their own hate. Um, the majority of the time, I do just delete and block. Um, there's also a, on social media, Instagram, you can restrict people. Mm. So restricting, if people listening in don't know about it, it means that you can um, block anybody else uh, who's following you from seeing that person's comments, but the, the troll themselves will still believe it's on there. So sometimes when you... Um, when I'm getting trolled and I delete and block, they just, they take that as, as any reaction is, you know, a reaction. So they'll like, almost a victory perhaps like, Oh, I've ruffled their feathers or something. Do you know what I mean? So they then create new pages to then just do it again and again and again. So the restrict button is actually quite good because they think that they <laughs> their comments and stuff are still up when actually the only people that can see them are them and yourself. But that's if you can deal with, you know, still physically seeing them. Um, it's different for everybody, but, you know, the more we push uh, the narrative of in inclusivity, um, hopefully in the long run, the less trolling there will be. Um, Absolutely. Now this brings me neatly on to your book, yeah. which is, uh, as I said earlier, a body positivity manifesto. Who is it aimed at, first of all, when you wrote it? Um, my little sister. Amazing. And how old yeah. is she? Um, she's 21. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing. No, no, no. But what's the, what was the purpose of it? Is it to inspire? Is it to assist? Is it to aid? Do you know what? It's a little bit of everything. So the book itself was to, um, you know, my my route into the fashion industry is not a normal way. I didn't ever want to become a model. And I actually, it didn't even cross my mind that it was even a possibility due to the fact of the way the industry was and how not inclusive it was. So I wanted to show uh, and give people an, an idea of, how I got into the industry and how I navigated it as a plus size woman with everything thrown at me and also tell you all about the secrets and stuff they don't tell you about in the industry and all the the messed up things that I have no issue with speaking about because you know I was training to become a primary school teacher so I I don't care about being popular or doing the you know, the right thing, which is the wrong thing in the industry. Um, and I just wanted people to open up and understand that the reason why you might have all of these um, issues and body image issues when you go on the high street and can't find your size is because there is a thing called vanity sizing, which is for people that don't know, a lot of high street brands are doing this thing called vanity sizing when, let's just say you're a size 16, in a shop they are basically lowering their sizes on the label but keeping the same measurements so for example you're a 16 in one shop 
you go in another shop and it's the same measurements but instead of a size 16 they're putting a 14 so you are when you are shopping on the high street you're going around and let's just say you're a 16 in one shop you're an 18 in another you're a 20 in another and you're a 14 in the other the chances are you're going to spend all your money where you appear to be lower and all these things people don't know and like it's not just for younger people but it's you know it's for mums and aunties and nans because it's not always just the young people that are suffering body image and I just wanted to give people an insight to what I have learned and then also giving them like sort of steps of like how I've self-taught myself to become um confident and 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 how I've what things I do to bring myself joy and and ultimately like my experience from like seeing other people um you know in their 70s on the beach in a bikini and their swimmers having the best life and enjoying themselves and looking at looking at the world going why are we not there with this sort of contentment that these older people have and you know they've gone through all the life their lives of like all the different trials and tribulations potentially had kids dealt with trauma dealt with death dealt with marriage birth and all this other stuff and they're finally enjoying their holiday in their 70s and feeling content we should be having that feeling from now you know and just not listening to all these things that are thrown at us so i want the book to be this sort of like you know, manifesto, but also like a self-help book, but also a bit of an eye-opener to the mm. industry. Amazing. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on it once again. I think one of the questions I really wanted to establish is what does identity mean to you? Because there's so many different branches and aspects of what that word could mean, be that your class, yeah. what school you went to, indeed what colour your skin is. But because uh, identity captures so many things, but what's your kind of understanding of it? I think identity for me is uh, what are the things that bring you happiness? You know, your identity is ultimately all those things that you've just said, but what makes you you are the things around you that bring you happiness. Um, you know, and you shine the most and you're the best version of yourself when you're doing something that you love um, or you're surrounded by people that you love. So my identity, I think like, although I probably want to say it's a, you know, bleach blonde mullet wearing a leopard print, Rod Stewart loving pina colada seaside babe. Yeah. That's how I would say my identity is. But when you actually deep those things that I've just said, it's all to do with things that bring me joy. Yeah. I think my identity would be the elements of everything around me that bring me joy. Brilliant. I like, I love that. So what does the future hold for you then? We've got the book out and then I have no doubt that the self-love brings beauty movement will continue as the sign behind you says, <laughs> my by name the way, you. love that. Not on. Um, I mean, the self-love brings beauty is just, uh, I started that as a, as a little movement back in 2015 when I just kept getting asked, the most mind-numbing questions from journalists, um, you know, about my... Do you know what is crazy? I, I did a campaign for Mac Cosmetics and they hadn't used Plus before. And this interviewer, this guy, was just sort of like so confused as to why I was in the position that I was. And when he interviewed me, he didn't ask me anything to do with the brand or the makeup or anything. He just was like, so how much do you weigh? What do you eat? What's your diet like? And I was like... 
What? I just was like, do you know what? If this guy, this has got nothing to do with what we're saying, and you're just pushing, you're trying to make me feel like crap. I was like, if this guy had self-love within himself, he could understand everyone brings bre- everyone would bring beauty. That's sort of how it started. I was like, I just need to push this message. And that message will continue throughout now and the future of my career. It's just a sort of, it's a statement of like, you know, finding joy and self-love and acceptance within yourself. But, you know, I'd love to write another book. Um, Amazing. You know, I've got, yeah, I've got, I'm just sort of at the moment, I'm just going with the flow. I think the last couple of years have obviously been manic for all of us. Um, and it's just finding, finding my feet again. So the book was amazing. And yeah, just, um, yeah, to, to be continued. Um, <laughs> my final <laughs> question that I ask every guest is what does the word headstrong mean to you? Oh, um, headstrong. I think would for me the first sort of thing that comes into my head, um, having empathy for people. I think if you want to be headstrong about something and you want to be able to uh, navigate your life and be that strong character, you have to have empathy for people. Lovely. I love the word empathy. I think it's a great word. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. I wish you all the very, very best uh, and have a lovely week. Thanks, Colin. Take care. And that concludes this episode three in season eight of Headstrong. A massive, massive thank you to Felicity for joining me on the show and telling me her story, how she got into modeling and ultimately all the hard work she's doing. And of course, inspiring us to realize that Instagram isn't everything. Now, if you did enjoy this episode of Headstrong, please do subscribe rate share it with your friends and family it all means a lot so please do subscribe and come back next week for another episode of headstrong even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.